I know that there's some things we we don't feel like we have a choice about when it comes to what we're going to put on our plate and allow us to you know do. But um, you know, when you look at who's saying this the most, it's not the youngest people and the oldest people. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you will find and apply God's wisdom to your work. I'm Dr. Chip Roper, and I'm joined by Ken Kennard and Sarah Evers. We aim to inspire, challenge, and equip you to follow Jesus in the vocational dimension of your life. As we begin this episode, I want to thank our generous donors who make this podcast possible. We are grateful for your support. Voca funders sign up to change lives by changing work. And if you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, invest in Voca. Just go to vocacenter.org give and join us today. I've noticed recently that I start to notice phrases that I, people are saying all the time that they, they, they suddenly sort of burst up and become popular. And I don't know if it's just selective attention, you know, like how when you buy a red car, suddenly you notice everybody else has a red car. And before that, you thought you're going to be the only person with the red car. Um, but I'm wondering, I'm, I'm going to give you guys some examples in a minute, but I wonder if you're noticing some fra- if you're noticing any sort of phrases or me or sort of threads that just keep popping up. So uh, the very, very latest one is the word zombie and it's in news headlines. So like there's a headline that Ukraine joining NATO is the zombie that won't die. And, and there's all these like anything that won't go away that people want to be, have resolved. Apparently they're starting. So I just started to see that one. That's, that's pretty fresh. The other one that I've been noticing now for at least six months is a hundred percent. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It's hundred percent. A hundred percent. You guys think it's a hundred percent? Yeah. Yes. But, yeah. hundred like, percent is the zombie of is one of the zombies in our. It's a zombie. That's right. It won't die. Everybody's saying hundred percent. I don't think a year ago everybody was saying hundred percent. No, I had one. I one client. I had one client that was saying a hundred percent all the time. Years ago, like two, three years ago. That's and, and when everyone else started saying 100%, he raised it to 110%. Did he really? Seriously? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. So where does it come from? I, I mean, I've been trying to figure out, like, was there a movie? Was there something? I've been Googling it. I chat GPT did. Nobody knows where. Well, zombies have been around for a while. I mean, <clears throat> years ago, the zombies were, were making a real presence in pop culture. There were books around it, there were movies around it, scripts around it. Um, but it wasn't as common in the vernacular. It was like a little fringe. I think it's rising from the fringe, if it's rising at all. I guess um, zombies rise. That's part of what they do. Yes, that's what they do. It's a zombie. <laughs> sure. It rises. It won't fall down. You can shoot it. It doesn't matter. You know, all right. that, that stuff. Right. I know they were like as a science fiction TV, like there's all those shows yeah. and stuff, but this is like news headlines. Right. Well, you know, like, uh, maybe, this is maybe, a zombie. So is this peak zombie when it gets to the news headline? Is it's it's on its way down next after this? Or does it, it could is be there peak, still more room? It's peak too zombie. It's peak zombie. That's very mm-hmm. fascinating. That could be mm-hmm. a whole episode. I don't mm-hmm. know how it relates to faith at work, but I, you know, resilient faith at work and peak zombie, the peak zombie mm-hmm. episode. But it sounds like that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. But how about 100%? Like, is that peaked? Well, mm. it's been around for a long time. The fact that you're, you've are you been hearing it for six months uh, might indicate that it's coming to its peak. Because um, I just uh, did a quick Google search 
and found that somebody on the medium wrote uh, an article that said, stop saying 100%, no, really cut it out. And that was posted in 2021. Oh. So in 2021, um, other generations were telling people to 100% stop saying 100%. I, I, I want to say one thing in defense of 100%, you know, language and conversation, they're so kind of like amorphous. You're not really sure how to measure them. It can be a little hard to know if someone's nodding. Are they really in agreement? Are they kind of in agreement? Do you, have you made a decision or are they just happy to be here? And when someone says 100%, there's something reassuring about the quantitative nature of that in terms of the response. That said, I completely hate the idea. So you defended it and you hate it at the same time. That's right. There's a part of it that's reassuring. It's the mathematical side of me. And then I, th I think about it for half a second and I think I'm with Sarah's author. Stop it. <laughs> so are you 50% on 100%? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm, I'm less than 20% in favor of 100%, 100%. And I'm even fewer percentages in favor of 110. Oh, yes. I would say 110% sounds a little bit over the top. What well, it is? It's like 10% over the top, but I found it more than 10% obnoxious for sure. So what's your percentage rating of approval for 100%, Sarah? I can handle one or two 100% comments in a conversation with somebody, but once you hit more than two, then it feels like it's a catchphrase or a filler, like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, sure, sure. And that becomes a little irritating. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just not a fan. I don't want to give it a number. Okay. Does your daughter say it? No, my, well, yeah, my daughter and my niece say it, but they also have been saying, that's so sus. Mm. Sus. Meaning? Sus. Meaning it's uh, questionable, so like suspicious or yes. suspect. Yes. So Ooh. if somebody does something and they're like, oh, that's, that's not true or that's dishonest or that seems backhanded or that's not cool, it's very sus. That's, that's yeah. sus. Mm-hmm. So those, that's that's the, the new language I'm getting from the teens in my life. So that's mm -hmm. going to come, and everything's going to be sus. And in I just want to confirm. Unless it's not going to be sus if it's 100%. <laughs> no. Right. No. It's either 100% or it's sus. <laughs> yeah, I can confirm that, Sarah. We've got a lot of sus things going on. Most things that dads do, besides tell dad jokes, could be in that sus category, you know, if you're a real teen. Yeah. It's sus. It's suspect. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so when it gets to you, Chip, we know that it has started to make that curve and might be leaving popularity. Because you're saying I'm slow? Are you saying I'm a laggard when it comes to these things? Um. Well, I would, I'm not sure you have the generational influences in your life on a daily basis to bring you those pop culture references. Like, Chip, how many hours have you spent listening to teenagers in the last seven days, would you say? I mean, estimate that and compare that to what it would be if you were living. I know exactly. It's 100% zero. <laughs> That's so sus. <laughs> it's so sus. Well, this is the beauty of a team, you guys. I represent the past and you represent the future. <laughs> okay, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Until your kids and kid until your kids leave and then you're gonna and be just I'm as out. isolated as I am. So And yeah. then I'll be one hundred percent on the back end of trends. 
All right, I'm 100% done with this topic. Let's uh, let's move on. This is the Resilient Faith at Work podcast. And uh, today in this episode, we want to talk about the fact that burnout and overload are not going away. You know, every year uh, we go through a rigorous listening exercise where we ask our, our friends, our constituents, hundreds of people, uh, what are the biggest challenges in your work? And we've been doing this for a long time. And what we see consistently is that in the top two, and they take they trade places, but the top two are burnout and being overwhelmed with work or just being completely overloaded with the work we do. And so this year, uh, they were 33% overload and 34% burnout. And there's not a lot of, uh, just, just a few comments about the data, guys, and then we'll get into it here. Um, there's not a lot of variation. Um, it's definitely more of a 40 to 70 age range thing. Um, at least in our research, it has been. And um, people from 30 to in the middle, uh, from 30 to actually 60, really, really see a spike in reporting more on the overwhelming side, whereas the others on the ed edges talk about being burned out. And um, men and women both reported as their number one challenge. Women tend to rank being overwhelmed by all the work I have to do or just overwhelmed as a higher challenge than men do, um, which is an interesting thread in the data. And, and we already know women do more juggling than men tend to do uh, with other responsibilities. So, so as we dive into this, I mean, we've, we've, we've published some, re we've got resources, we've got tools on dealing with these issues. What I wanted to talk with you guys about today is why won't this go away? And, um, and maybe either just as we jump into it, maybe there's some observations in your own, your own life or in your, in your client community that you just say, wow, yeah, this is true. Or this is, this is, this is maybe a hypothesis about why this, this just doesn't end. Well, before we dig into that chip, are, can I ask a question about the 33 percent or 34 percent? I mean, right there, they're statistically insignificant. They're really tied. Are we making an important distinction or do you think our, our, um, survey respondents are making a significant distinction between being overwhelmed versus being burned out. I mean, would would someone say, oh, I'm not overwhelmed, but I'm burned out? Or, you know, oh, I'm not burned out, but I'm, whoa, my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. I, I'm just not sure what the distinction that they're making or that we think they're making is there. I think that people who are burned out would also be overwhelmed, but people who are overwhelmed might not be burned out. Okay. At least but that's the way I think about it. We don't actually... 100%. We don't 100% know. <laughs> there you go. Right. But but think about it this way, Chip. If if that's true, then wouldn't the score for one be higher? Because all the people that are one and not the other would have only marked one? Or am I reading it wrong? I don't know. I, I mean, we asked them to pick their top dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they check a box. I think they get to check three, don't they? Shauna, when we asked them that. Yeah. So I yeah. think... It's possible that some of them, I mean, that's something we could actually check. How many check both? Yeah, um, I mean, it's kind of like you're saying, some. What's, what's problem in your life? Are you hungry or are you starving? Well, everyone who's starving is probably hungry, but not everyone who's hungry has necessarily gotten yeah, to the level of starving. You've so you're got saying it. it's kind so of So burnout, burnout is, star, is starving. Yeah. Burnout is, is chronic. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Burnout yeah. is that chronic state. It's when right. you're exhausted. It's prolonged stress. It's related to work. And where I think overwhelm is this temporary sense of not being able to cope with what's happening right. in your life. Right. So I think that's a, that's a great analogy. So those are the clinical definitions. I get that. My question is, is that's what they think it is? Because when I hear people talk about being overwhelmed or being burned out, I'm hearing them use it synonymously in their vernacular. I, I'm not sure that the distinction is hitting the audience, but I might be wrong. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, it's why we, well, they're next to each other and they always are. And that's why we, we put it together. Um, I do think like a true clinical definition of a burnout, you're seeing, you're seeing performance and function decline. Like, and when people are overwhelmed, they're usually, they're harried and they're crazy, but they're still, quote, getting it done, I think. That's interesting. That'd be an interesting thing to dig into in like a focus group or something and find out a little bit more about that. So they're, they're cousins and they're related and they won't go away. Why do you guys think that is? I wonder if part of it is what we just hit on, the, the interrelatedness of them both. That, um, you know, if you think of those clinical definitions, that um, overwhelm can easily lead to burnout. Uh, so I think the, the, the cousin's analogy is, is pretty helpful. I also wonder if we don't quite know what they really are. Like, right? Have they become catchphrases like 100% or sus that people throw out overwhelm and burnout thinking they know what they mean when really they might be in this sense of ennui where they just can't, they just feel listless and can't move forward. And it might be a temporary season. Yeah. I, th I, mean, I definitely think burnout is over self-diagnosed because it's, we talk about it so much that people are like, I'm burned out when, you know, they're tired or it's been a crazy season, but that's not the same as, not doing their job, mm -hmm. like pretending to do their job, but not doing their job because they have no motivation and don't care. Like that's, there's a difference. Be this is another analogy. It's there's a difference between being sad and being depressed. Mm -hmm. You know, being sad is not a positive emotion, but it's a healthy thing to be sad. When your sadness and grief takes over and you don't get out of bed and you stop to function, that's that's depression, right? Like that's that's a and there's a, it's a scale, but it's the same thing. So I, I think there's a little bit of that, you know, um, I don't know. So there, there could be like an over, so that's, that's one, one explanation is people are over diagnosing themselves as they could be, uh, but let's take it at face value and say that maybe some of these people actually are either mm -hmm. overworked or burned out or overwhelmed. Um, why is that? And why is it so high? I mean, you're comparing to the other things and they're still saying it's higher than all those uh, as a group. I think that one thing that's, that, that happens that can lead to this is we sort of um, feel pressure, we get anxious, and in response to either crisis or just stress or bad things happening in the world, that we are, one of the natural responses is to fix it by working harder, um, trying more, um, getting more diligent and vigilant and taking on more and that actually works for in the short term. It's a great strategy for getting through a day or getting through a week, you know. Uh, it can actually add to a nice rhythm if sometimes you're busy and sometimes you're not, right? That's the natural Sabbath rhythm 
of being busy for six days and doing nothing for a day when, but, but when it's no longer temporary, when it happens all through COVID or, you know, it becomes the new normal that we're just never getting enough focus or clarity or having good rhythms. Um, there's something more systemic happening then. Yeah, I hear that, Ken, with the with the rhythms being important, because we've had so many uh, technological advances, um, things that have made our life easier, whether it's apps or robot vacuums. Um, you know, there's lots of things that are supposed to make our lives easier. And so then we use those tools and any margin it creates, it seems like we fill it up, like we over schedule, we, we over busy and I wonder if there really is a resistance to embracing rest and margin um, that if we if we if we didn't live in the margins of our lives, we'd have a greater sense of wholeness and less of a sense of burnout. Do you think Jesus would have a microwave if he lived today? <laughs> I think he would have a disciple kick cook his dinner. It's, it's just as good. Oh, interesting. My dinner. Um, well, he know. cooked his own breakfast for them. That's right. And it wasn't, uh, it didn't have a microwave. I don't know about this rhythms thing. I, I, I think that it sort of, it just depends on what we mean. Cause I think there is a lot of advice. There's a whole, there's, there's gobs and gobs of advice around rhythms, you know, practice 15 minutes of mindfulness, exercise every day. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about some of this stuff too. Um, don't, go from screen to screen to screen to screen, take a little break and walk around. And, you know, there's different things. And it depends on how we're all working. And that's a big mashup. So I do think there's 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 some validity there. And like even in my life, I noticed that if it's 10 o'clock at night and I have a choice between watching a show and going to bed and reading, I feel more rested if I go to bed and read than if I watch a show and then try and fall asleep. And there's all that research about what pixels do to your brain. And like, you need, you need, you need to be unplugged an hour before uh, you go to sleep and unplugged in a, preferably an hour before when you get up to kind of ramp up. So, th so there's stuff around some of that, that has probably changed us. And, and, but I also feel like there's gotta be something, there's gotta be other things that are driving this that are deeper than rhythms which i put in the category of technique like these are techniques about how we manage our lives but what what's deeper that's 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 not working for people in their work that's driving this burnout that it just won't go away and i think like macro level when we think about where we've been over the last it's almost four years now that's crazy four years since the pandemic it's three and a half so you go into this pandemic which none of us have been through and the world literally shuts down and then a bunch of people lose their jobs and then it comes raging back and then everybody's like changing jobs all the time and i i f i feel like sometimes as we, as we're working with clients and and out and about serving people in the workforce that there's this neurotic f feeling like i've got to make it while i can and that it could all blow up and go away again. And that, um, you know, I've got a good, I got a good job now, but I can get a better one over here. That was great resignation. That's over by the way. So now it's like, I want to keep my job. I don't want to, you know, I, 
Microsoft and Facebook and Google are laying all the big, the, some of the big banks, they're laying people off. I don't want to be one of those people. So there's still like, we just go from, we went from fear to frenetic upper seizing opportunity. We're kind of tilting back to fear again. And there's sort of this, and yeah, it's fed in the echo chamber of, of 24 seven news cycle and constant media and everything. But anyway, I just wonder about some of it being context, right? Broader context of what it's like to work now. Um, does that connect with you, either of you? Does it, do you think, do you see some of that? Yeah, I, I see it all the time and I, it does connect with me. And I think that reminds me of the great depression, you know, and some of the ways that that generation responded. Now that was much longer, probably in, in financially more, uh, systemic and tra tragic and traumatic yeah. <clears throat> and you know to my grandmother's death she would do things that i would say oh my gosh what what are you doing w you know but habits and patterns that were a response to that tragic situation so there's something human and sort of self-preservation uh related to this idea that when you go through a trauma and you don't want it to happen again you're probably going to Respond and maybe even overcompensate in a way. Uh, it's gonna help. It's gonna be work to be healthy after that. Yeah, I've got that that whole YOLO logo idea kind of running through my head. That in light of all the trauma that's happened and the major events that have happened, there is this "you only live once" YOLO approach to life. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna get what I can while the getting's good. And I'm going to get out if it's not meeting my needs. So I, I do think culturally, we've really embraced this me focus. And I'm I'm at work to get my needs met. Um, I'm at work to, um, and I'm going to find a better job if I don't if I hit a bump and don't like what I want. It I it feels like we've lost a little bit of this staying power of this long obedience in the same direction. Yeah, it's like there's a chronic lack of stability. Everything's in flux because everything's optional. And yeah, that's, I think that's, that's a sort of subset, maybe some of that stuff. I guess there's some other things that I've thought about as I've thought about why this isn't going away. And um, one of my favorites is this, it's the biblical concept of diligence, which is repeated over and over again in Proverbs. So if the first thing that struck me about diligence when I was doing a little bit of like a bit of a deep dive on it was that it's contrasted with two things that seem like opposites. So the first is that diligence is the opposite of laziness, which makes total sense, right? Like we think, yeah, there's a lazy person, there's a diligent person. The other thing it's listed as the opposite of or stated as the opposite of is haste, which is like, we did an episode on rage quitting, which is really hastily trying to find another job because your boss just ticked you off, right? Like yeah. it's haste. And um, so that's that was like a bit of a light bulb. But as I got into the, the word and like the roots of the, the word that's found in Proverbs, it means to cut away the extraneous and focus on what's important and, and do so over a period of time. So back to your YOLO, I'm going to grab what I like in a sense that th that is a diligent path, but it's a frenetic one that's full of haste too. And it isn't life giving. Um, so there's, there's some of that stuff, but I, I just wonder if, if some of this, the reason this won't go away is because we're not, 
learning the practices of diligence of the bill. You know, we've lost the ability to cut away the extraneous, um, you know, our whole day is one big notifications <laughs> deluge because you didn't realize you could turn them off and, um, or you didn't want to, or that's, yeah, that's right. Cause you get a, because you might get that, that notification that so-and-so is texting you or you got the job or you won the lot, whatever you're, you're, you're waiting for it to pop in. I don't know. I just, I, th I'm, I just think that this sort of slow and steady wins the race is a phrase. It's another one that's resonated with me over the years. Like, and I don't always do it, but I'm just saying like, I want to. And I think there's it dovetails with that biblical wisdom. And it's, it's got this idea of, 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 of well, long obedience in the same direction, Sarah, which is a book, great book that you just quoted the title of. So I, I don't know. What do you guys is is that is there anything there? Well, I when you started talking about diligence in contrast to haste, that's when I sat up a little straighter because at least my personality type is all about quickly running forward. And if somebody has an idea in a meeting, I'm going to start executing on it before the team has even decided if that's where we want to go. Uh, and so one of the major challenges for me is this idea of slowing down, uh, leaning into patience, and um, enduring the process or enjoying the process, right? Like letting the process play itself out before I move to action. And so I feel like that's a real, a, a real challenge for me is to think about what does it mean to be diligent? What's it mean to stay, stay in something for the long run um, and to be diligent to see something through to the end before I make decisions in haste, which can lead to anxiety or this this frenetic energy inside that says, I can't sit still, I need to do something. Uh, related to haste is saying no, I think. Um, being willing not to take on something in the first place, <laughs> you know. Uh, you kind of alluded to that, Sarah, in your comment. And I think that, um, I know that there's some things we, we don't feel like we have a choice about <clears throat> when it comes to what we're gonna put on our plate and allow us to, you know, do. but. Um, you know, when you look at who's saying this the most, it's not the youngest people and the oldest people. Um, when I think of the oldest, pe oldest people, I think of like my parents' generation and they're downsizing, they're getting rid of responsibility, they're selling things so they don't have to maintain them anymore. When I think of young generations, I think of how simple their life is and how few things they really have to do in a day or a week compared to someone in their 40s, 50s who might be managing children and uh, parents all at the same time and you know they've got a lot of responsibilities at work and there's not a lot of people to delegate some things to and they feel like it's all up to me and so you know maybe there's some things they don't have a choice over but maybe there's things that they do and so that's I think where the rubber meets the road it's it's all fine and good until you actually look at where they are in their life and you look at the details and you realize okay you know even someone who wants to be more diligent uh, might have to say no to a lot more things in order for this to balance out. Well, you also point out that the, the spike in overwhelmedness and burnout is actually in the middle between say age 30 and 60. And the people on the ends who don't have as many responsibilities on the, on the or young end or who don't care anymore because they're old and they realize it doesn't all matter that much. Um, on the other end, it's like some of this has nothing to do with work or very little, it's not work per se it's that yeah it's the crush of you've got work and you've got well i'm trying to raise my kids and i'm trying to take care of my aging parents like that's mm. and all of us have been 
in those those moments not not and recently uh for all of us in different ways where you're in between you're kind of squeezed in between these two generations and they they're demanding and when you're young and either you know and you're young kind of the single this is stereotypical you like you have less responsibility and when you're older you're like well i guess it's all going to work out or maybe it has or there's things you don't like you have some probably have some maturity uh, about and maybe you say no i don't i maybe say no more easily ken back to your your idea about that like you just are like well i can't do that or i don't want to do that you know I, I was hearing jerry seinfeld do a comedy sketch one time and he said i'm in my 60s now he says i love i love the 60s um it's so much better than any other decade uh what i like about it is that i i just if i don't want to do something i just say no yeah and I also think that um, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s who don't have children also experience this sense of burnout and overwhelm. And it might not be because they're caring for their own children, but there's other things that are happening in their life. There's expectations that they had for where they would be or where they could be um, that that can weigh down, weigh in on you also. There, you know, how are you going to live out your uh, your life at church. What are your volunteer opportunities um, and the expectations that your family has for you? So I think this burnout isn't necessarily tied to to just having children. I think I think it applies to to all stages of life. Well, I had a couple other theories about why this is sticking around, and we've touched on. I think we've touched on most of them, but I'm just going to throw the headlines at you guys and see if there's any that you want to double click on. Um, so one, I'm being mean in the way I say this. So send the emails to the office. Um, but um, wimpiness is a reason why, like life's hard and um, it's hard. Like there's a lot to do. There's a lot that could be done. And especially if you're in the middle in some level, taking care of, an, of your aging family and your emerging family at the same time can be, it really, just that can be kind of brutal. And um, so it's hard. And that's where, so that's one thing. A lack of courage is another, which gets to Ken's idea of saying no. Um, so I think that's a, that's a second thing I put here. I, we call them sometimes idols of the heart. Like we are just so, you know, I've, I've worked with some, some of my clients are so like, they really want to hit some very, very large financial milestones and they will do anything to get there. And so that's a financial idol. There could be others in the YOLO, uh, FOMO kind of continuum of stuff. So I like we're basically hooking our identity and security into things other than God. And therefore, we're we always say yes to anything that could possibly deliver. Um, another idea, just it goes to the rhythms piece, which but I, 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 the way I've summarized it is a lack of practices of Sabbath, which is taking a day off once a week, guarding your heart. Which is, you know, what are you, what are you really clinging to? And granular prayer is prayer for the details of your work. So you're, you're approaching your work like you're, it's all up to you. And of course, that's going to burn you out and wear you out. God doesn't. And God says, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. And I'm there with you in the, the details of it. So those are just some other kind of headlines I had. What do you guys think? Did any of those jump out to you? Do you have another you want to suggest about why this is hanging around and not going away? Well, I, I think that what you're one on granular prayer and you're talking about, you know, pray about everything. And it reminds me of the, the analogy he uses of, of, you know, yoke, the yoke he wants to share with us. 
and my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, what, what makes it so light? Uh, and, you know, it's, it's that he's, he's on the same yoke with us, right? He's pushing, pulling, doing the work if, if we let him and don't fight against him. And I feel like when it's getting chaotic and it's out of control or I'm looking at the next shiny thing and not realizing that it's causing me a lot of uh, overwhelm and burnout in the end when I have neglected other things that are more important or whatever, um, I think that's, that's when I'm starting to chafe against the, the yoke that's supposed to be easy. Uh, so that came up for me. Yeah, and on that idea that that life is supposed to be easy, I, I go into your your what you called wimpiness. Might take a little bit of issue with that title, but uh, we can debate that later. I think the the idea behind it is really really stands that we have this assumption that life is supposed to be easy, but in reality, life is really hard. And so while we might want things to be easy, I, I kind of think of that as the difference between reality and reality shows. Right, we, we watch reality shows and there's an issue of time compression where a lot of time can pass in a short period of time. And we see people, you know, we, we see content that's been edited to show a certain perspective and a certain point of view. And, um, and we're not really seeing reality, even though we call them reality shows. And no, we it's unreality. You know, we, right, we all know they're, we all know they're scripted. Um, but, I, but that you see that kind of thing over and over again, and it, it informs a perspective that, that, that encourages you to, I think, leave authenticity, or at least to think that my life should be like this, or it should be faster, I should be at a better place, it should be further along, I should be able to afford these things, or my lifestyle should be like this. And, and then with the rise of influencer culture, I think for some of our, our younger clients, there is this pressure to have a side hustle that will allow you to to not do a regular job and allow you to live out this vacation lifestyle with very minimal work. And so, you know, whether it's influencers or reality shows, there is this this idea that Americans and American Christians are buying into that life should really be easy. Um, and, you know, as you were saying, I was thinking that beyond uh, like another layer beneath that belief is that when my life is not easy, Either I'm doing something wrong or there's something wrong with me, yeah. which are guilt and shame. Yes. And and so it's not just that I'm not where I want to be. It's that there's something fundamentally screwed up about me or my approach to my life. And so that's that's why it's that kind of thinking sucks the life out. Like that's it's not just frustrating. It's it hits you at a, at a deeper visceral level about your identity and are you being a competent human being and you're starting to think maybe not. And then that can really spiral down into and feed things like feeling burnout or feeling I'm not, I'm not a good person cause I don't get everything done. And, and, um, so it's, it's got a, I don't know, there's a below the waterline element to it that goes beyond just that we, that we are fed with this idea that it's supposed to be good all the time. And then you add in the theological component, if things aren't going well and I'm not achieving my goals and things aren't good, then maybe God is not pleased with me. Yeah, I'm a bad, I'm a bad Christian. I'm a bad Christian. I'm a bad person. And so I think it's easy to get this idea of, well, if I were doing this right, things would be better. And then you get this works mentality in that drives you to do more to get what you think you're supposed to have. Yeah. It's a little bit insidious. It is. It feeds on itself. Yeah. Downward spiral. I wonder if it could also feed on itself the opposite direction. Like you're successful, you got what you wanted, 
you know, you achieved it. Now you're thinking, well, okay, that the, the novelty of that wears off. And yeah. you're like, oh, I, I guess I, I guess I didn't, I guess I should have shot higher. I guess, I guess I need a little bit more. And so it's the frenetic of, of not being defeated, but actually by being successful and still trying to go f- faster and harder and more. And, and, uh, you know, that, that could feed just as much maybe into this overwhelming feeling. Well, I think, I wonder if that's what happens to, um, well, they're high performers, but they're often public performers who, you know, they burn out or they blow up. Um, but I think it's like, I have to, be, I have to outdo my last, whatever I did. And, um, which kind of goes into the idols of the heart piece too. Like I have to, there's that whole, that's a whole piece of this. Might be interrelated. That could keep feeding it. Yeah. They're interrelated maybe. More, more so than at first thought. Well, when you guys think about being in a space where you personally are feeling totally overwhelmed, um, maybe burned out, I mean, but at least overwhelmed, because that's, that's probably more common. What have you found most helpful? A couple things that I found helpful. Um, at first thought, I think I need to quit everything and go sit on a beach somewhere. It's not necessarily realistic for my lifestyle to leave everything behind and go do that. But really, just 15 minutes alone, 15 minutes without a screen, 15 minutes seems to be this magical tipping point for me to be able to, to move out of a real stress response and move into something where I can make a plan and move forward. And so when, um, when I'm in that place of real overwhelm, I, I need to take 15 minutes of quiet without screen by myself to just breathe and think uh, and, and empty out the stress, whether it's writing it down or praying it out. It's interesting that you say there's something magical about that 15 minutes. I was talking to my mom, a counselor recently, and she was talking about it's 15 or 20 minutes biologically for our bodies to change, to relax, to, you know, to let the, let the hormones and endorphins and the stress response and all, or whatever it is for us to kind of cycle into another place. Um, I'm probably getting some of those details wrong, but I, I remember her talking about that length of time as being a really significant thing. So it's not, and in my mind it was like, oh, once you decide, you know, I'm, I'm so mental about these things. She, she reminds me that I have a body and that <laughs> I, and I need to factor that in, uh, to my, to my decisions. Um, so, yeah. I, I was thinking of, I, I, I don't know how long it takes. It doesn't take more, much more than 15 minutes, but like one of the things I would do is I would, I would sit down and update my task list which is sort of might be somewhere similar to some of the journaling or writing things down, Sarah, you just mentioned, I don't know, but I just find that if I can just see it, like it's going out from the spinning. Oh, I got to do that. And I can see it. And, um, then I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm not going to forget it. Don't have to worry about that anymore. Oh, well, I really don't need to, that meeting can be postponed for three weeks. I don't really need to do that. Like it just, it helps me get a little bit of a sense of, I am, this is where I am. This is what's really mm-hmm. going on. Um, it also quiets the noise. Yeah, right? it, it quiets, it quiets the, noise. the noise. And some, we probably say this because we're coach consultants. We say work on it, not in it, you know, we, but we don't do it, <laughs> you know? And a lot of times when I talk to leaders, especially people who are getting more and more responsibility, I'm like, how much time are you spending organizing yourself? 
and that usually it's not a they don't they don't even think about that like and so no wonder you're no wonder you're overwhelmed you know you're not like stepping back and saying getting a sense of what's really required when is it needed and can you do it you know so it's it's a I don't know. That doesn't sound very deep or spiritual, but it, it works. Just that, that quick kind of catch your breath, get a sense of what's really going on, what's what's really needs to happen. Um, you know, what else? Well, when I when I um, am working with a client who comes into a call with that kind of swirl happening, that whirlwind happening, we take I I give them three to five minutes to just dump everything out of their head, and what I find is that things start to slow down around two three minutes. And then by the time we get to five minutes of quiet where they have just written everything down, they've had, they've done a, a brain dump or a mind map, something to get it all out, that suddenly there's a little bit more space for us to get some focus about how to move forward. So there, there really is, I, I'd say my, my anecdotal evidence would say there is something about getting it out of your head and onto paper to be able to see it and manage it and, yeah, and I, understand what reality is. Yeah, I, I agree. There's also something about organizing your physical space as a way of like decluttering. You know, uh, the other day I was feeling overwhelmed and I cleaned my desk and I put all the stuff away that needed to be filed or what, you know, was a reminder of something else. And if it's a reminder, just write it down on my list and put the thing away. It just decluttering visually really helped. Um, mm -hmm. I think that can be part of it. What, a lot of times when I'm overwhelmed, it's that I'm keeping things in my brain and my brain is not wired to be a, a list of things to do or things to keep track of. And so what's overwhelmed about it is when the next thing comes in and I'm already full, suddenly I'm, you know, Lucille Ball at the, uh, you know, trying <laughs> the to- chocolate factory. At the chocolate factory, trying, trying to keep up with uh, uh, the ever ending conveyor belt of tasks that are about to flood in. And I just haven't created enough uh, space or a system for capturing all that and really using my brain for what it's good at, which is, analyzing, synthesizing, processing, deciding, connecting with people, uh, things that a task list itself uh, doesn't do well or a computer system doesn't do well. How about on the spiritual side? What are, what are some truths or practices that you feel have helped you when you're in a space of being overwhelmed? Well, part of my 15 minutes is often spent in some breath prayers you know, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Um, you know, whatever spiritual truth I'm holding on to at that moment, I'll just repeat on the inhale and then on the exhale. And I'll practice that for three to five minutes. Just this, this, these breath prayers help me get some focus. Yeah, I think also, um, I'm not sure that making a to-do list isn't spiritual, uh, Chip. I think it could be. And especially if you're writing things by hand or slowing down, purposefully slowing down, um, because you could be sort of praying through the list as you go. You know, I just wrote down, connect with this person. Lord, what does this person need? Open me up to this connection. Please make me be pre help me to be present and listen well when I make that phone call or have that appointment or, you know, connect with that person. I, I think, you, you know, it's a small step of intentionality um, to let your heart kind of sink into what it is you're focusing on and ask the Lord, what's, what's, what's the change I need to make? Or what, how can I be open to your guidance here? Or, um, and that really changes it from a frenetic, I have to do, I have to perform. It's all up to me. Gotta get this stuff done. Oh, I'm behind. 
to this space of being, you know, the Lord's responsible for the results. I'm going to be interested and excited to see what he's going to surprise us with in this next task or interaction. That's really good. I, I found those things helpful too. I also, I, I don't do this all the time, but sometimes I just get stuck on a, a specific text, scripture text, and I go after it like crazy. And last year I read two or three books about the the yoke passage, Ken, that I think you referenced earlier. You know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I, and I just sort of just doubled down on that. And it wasn't like, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't, I guess it's not necessarily the answer to I'm feeling acutely overwhelmed in this moment, but it, it, it kind of, because it wasn't just, oh, I just read that passage in the Bible and went on because I really, really dug into it. And it speaks to feeling overwhelmed because the verse does, you know, come to me if you're weary and over overburdened or whatever. Um, I found it cycling and bringing a lot more peace for me and that I would remember it more when I was in those moments when it was crazy. Yeah. We're talking about things that I think are addressing the overwhelm. Yeah. But when the overwhelm reaches such a level that it goes into burnout, it's kind of like the analogy you said, Chip, about the difference between sadness and clinical depression. If you're sad, you might need a breath prayer or a 15-minute break or some tip or technique to like get through the day or the week, right? But if you're clinically depressed, you might need professional help. <laughs> you, right. might, you do you might need not, professional help. Yeah. You, no, you do. do. Yeah. If you're clinically yeah. depressed, you definitely do. That's yeah. Right. It's not something it's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um and so I think that the same might be true for burnout, that you don't just need a few tips. You probably need some professional guidance to help you walk through that season to get to the other side. That's good. And, you know, we're, we have a program that, that helps people with this, with burnout specifically. And we've baked into it three things that have helped us, all of us, because most of us have been through burnout one, at one point or another. So one thing people who are burned out, which is beyond just overwhelmed today, it's chronic it's exhaustion they need space they need some separation from from the grind of their work and they get that through this experience because they get time with a coach that creates space for it they get time uh, on with a guided series of tasks and reflections to do online and that creates a little separation a little bit from the grind of their work the second thing that we put in it because it's been as part of the helpful piece like Ken, you mentioned earlier how you're wired, and you said I'm not wired to have, you know, this task bombardment. Some people are actually; they thrive on that. But you know how you're wired, and I think that's something else we we put in most of the coaching programs we do, including the one on burnout, is some assessments to give you a sense of how are you wired and how how burned out are you and what's causing that burnout. There's specific things we've put in the burnout coaching program. And the last thing we all need is a guide. And I, I don't, we need somebody to talk to. And that's what you, you always get that with a coach. A, they're a professional listener. They're ready to listen. They're ready to create space for you to talk and process and, and land on things you actively can do to improve where you're at. And, you know, I think whether you're overwhelmed or burn, feeling burnout, talking to somebody, talking to the right somebody always moves you in the right direction. 
you know, it always moves you in the right direction. You're not alone and you have a chance to work through stuff and process it. So, um, so yeah, we, we've talked a lot about being over overloaded and, but we've got resources on burnout too. Well guys, this has been a great episode. We hope none of you are overwhelmed and burned out by us talking about being overwhelmed and burned out. Sarah is a hundred percent smiling. Ken's face, <laughs> Ken's face is very 50 50. So I don't, I don't really know how well, he's that's feeling. Us. Yeah, that's <laughs> us. But uh, we'll look forward to, to being with you next time on the Resilient Faith at Work podcast.